She is a school teacher and an author, and her latest book touches on a story that for her, in fact for many people, comes close to home. She's Juliet van Heerden, I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Juliet van Heerden, welcome to Conversations. Thank you. Great to have you back. I should say welcome back to Conversations. Really good to see you. It's good to be here again. So you've written another book. We're going to talk about the book soon. But first, let's rewind. I always like to go back and talk about the person or, or have the person I'm talking to talk about themselves just a little bit. So tell me a little bit about you. You're a school teacher right now. You teach what grades? Yes, yeah, so I've actually taken a break for the last couple of years, and I'll just be going back this coming school year. So I always work with lower grade students, first grade, second grade, oh, teaching fantastic. kids to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there are people like me who think that anyone who could work full-time with first and second graders deserves a medal. <laughs> is, it, it. is it tough? It can be. Yeah? It can is be. teaching changing as time goes by, should I say? When you first began teaching, do you notice the difference in what kids were like then and what they're like now? Of course, oh, absolutely. Do. Yeah. What's driving the difference? Uh, media. Yeah, it's media, isn't it? I think it's media making the big difference. It's hard, it's hard to be the dog and pony show that keeps their attention. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So you're from where in the beginning? From roughly whereabouts? I grew up in Texas. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Texas is home, the nation of Texas. And as well as being a teacher, you are very involved in ministry. Tell me a little bit about why you have such a close involvement with ministry. Well, um, my husband's a pastor, and I have a nonprofit that uh, works with people who are struggling with financial crises, emotional crises, and we do a lot of support and encouragement for people. Lately, it's been refugees um, from Ukraine. Oh, interesting. And um, so we, I just have a heart and a passion for people who are going through struggles. Yeah, yeah. What sort of stories are you hearing from Ukraine and from people who have been affected by Ukraine? What are the kinds of experiences you are learning about? Well, it's really close to home for us because we adopted two teenagers from Ukraine in uh, 2016. And so the stories that we're hearing are from family members of theirs and friends that we made when we were there. So we've sponsored six Ukrainian refugees so far. Um, Four of them have been living with us in our home. And we hear the stories almost daily of people that they're communicating with back in Ukraine. And it's... um, it's scary. It's it's scary for them and scary for those who are still there. I ran into a woman recently who has fled Ukraine. She was involved in, I'll just say, church work, uh, tangent, not even tangentially, quite a, quite involved in church ministry. Mm-hmm. Asked her what her family's going through, and it's just so heavy on on someone's heart. Is it's easy, I think, to forget that that war is actually happening in the lives of people, in yes. the homes, in the communities yes. of people, and it's not something that's we're entirely disconnected from. Exactly. What a real challenge. Yeah. So pastoral ministry. So uh, your husband is the pastor, but, I mean, you can't escape it altogether. You're very involved. You yes. and he are one. So uh, 
what was the transition like going from not being a pastor's wife to being the wife of a pastor? <laughs> it was tricky. I, there are a lot of unspoken expectations for the wife of the pastor, and I hadn't read that book. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I've been learning along the way. Thirteen years later, I'm still, still learning. Learning, and the expectations differ from place to place to yes. place to place. Yes. Yeah. Um, when you realized you were about to become the wife of a pastor, did that fill you with some trepidation? You know, there are some women who say, I would never marry a pastor, and so if you're a pastor, consider me out of the equation. Uh, were you fearful, <laughs> concerned, worried, or no? I I didn't really think about that part okay. of it. I just saw him as a human being, and I had come out of a marriage Previously, that was really um, not good at all. And so it was wonderful to have a, a normal relationship. And so when we were dating, I, I, didn't, I wasn't really overwhelmed by that thought. It was only after um, we got married and I moved to the district and moved into the church and into that role that it really hit me. Oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> what have I got myself into here? Yes. Yeah. Well, 13 years in, you, you, you seem like you're doing pretty good. We're and, doing and well. Okay. Praise, praise yeah, the God. Yeah, right? really good. Hey, so let's start talking about, I'm just going to pull it out here, the second book. Am I correct? Second book you've written? Yes. I know it's the second book we've spoken about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, As I Walked, One Man's Quest for Sexual and Spiritual Identity. Yes. Give me the rundown on what this book is about. First, what it's about, then we'll get into the whys and wherefores. Okay. So this is the story of my stepfather and... Um, and my mother, they've been married for 33 years, happily married, no, um, no side sex, no porn, no, <laughs> no, no junk, but yeah. just a beautiful marriage that I've been able to, to witness. And, um, they, he turned 80 a couple of years ago and I said to him, you're not allowed to die unless you, <laughs> until you let me tell your story. And we laughed about it. But I was really serious because he has an incredible faith story. And I wanted people to know about it. And they've lived their marriage very happily and quietly um, for themselves. But I just felt like it's not fair that we don't get to know um, all of their stories. So I spent quite a bit of time with them. Um, asking questions and maybe knowing more than a daughter or daughter-in-law should ever know about her parents. But um, it's his story. It's his story of his walk with God and how he just clung to Christ and to the truth that is in the Bible about who we are as opposed to how we feel. Uh And he was molested as a young uh, man, well, I would say probably about 12 years old, by a man, and it really messed up. Um, we call him Mr. P, my stepdad. His last name is Pennock, so we call him we call him Mr. P. But um, the book is his story of how um, he took that pain and uh, allowed God to heal him from the way that he felt and the struggles that he had as a result of his first sexual experience being with someone of the same sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where did that where did that go? Where did that lead him? How did that impact his life? Uh, one would expect, and having seen the book, um, life took some difficult turns for him. It took some difficult turns for him. He uh, 
he was a Christian. He knew what the Bible said, and he uh, felt constantly aware of God's presence in his life. He wanted to have a relationship with God. And yet this experience um, pulled him in a direction that at that time it was actually illegal. If you, um, in England, if you were homosexual, it was really, really bad. That's right, yeah. Um, and he, he lived a life of secrecy, of shame. He didn't act out anything for quite some time, but eventually he did. And he spent 20 years in the gay lifestyle. And it was um, a very painful experience for him. And he often went back and sought um, help from Christian people, and he couldn't find it. Um, he he was told to get a hobby at one point. <laughs> get a hobby. But that doesn't heal a broken heart. No, no. Okay, so with a, a young man or, or a child is molested, this impacts his life yes. in numerous ways. Later on in life, he finds himself immersed in a homosexual lifestyle. Yes. So I'm just going to ask the obvious question. You are drawing a connection. You're linking those two things together. Not every molested kid ends up gay. Not every gay person was molested. Right. Uh, we're talking causation or correlation. You're talking about correlation here, aren't you? Or causation, I, sh- I should get that right. Causation. Yeah. He, he feels a definite yep. connection to, sure. to that experience. Yeah. And then there were other um, pieces of the puzzle, so to speak, um, a poor relationship with his father, a mother that he was um, maybe overly close to. And so there, were, you know, there was a, a mix in his life, but he, he will pinpoint. Yeah right back to that experience. Now, based on what you said a moment ago, it sounds like he was in in their lifestyle unhappy, unfulfilled. You said it brought a lot of pain into his life. Wouldn't one expect that this alleviates the pain? You're being your true self. You're following who you really are. Surely then one would be fulfilled. Why the disquietude? Why the angst? Mm -hmm. Why the unhappiness? He never felt fulfilled in that lifestyle, and he said that his feelings didn't reconcile with what he read in the Word of God. I see. He couldn't, he couldn't match it up, and eventually he just had to take a real stand to, to walk by faith and not by sight, and that's, that's the powerful part of his story, which... I believe this book can speak to any of us with with any issue in our lives where our feelings don't reconcile with what the Word of God says, no matter what it is. And um, his example of choosing to believe who God says He is and walk that out until He becomes His lifestyle becomes a reflection of that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, Sure. Uh, it's really powerful and incredibly encouraging. There's so much I want to ask you about this. But first I want to ask you, uh, you w- were aware of your stepdad's life, previous life. Yes. You felt like that story should be shared with the world. Okay, why? Why did you think this was a story that ought to be told? I'm going to ask you 
how you broach that subject with him and convinced him to have his life story told. Stories that many people would just keep a secret. But why do you feel like this was something that people ought to know? Because I feel like people need to know that there is hope, that that they don't have to be stuck in a cycle that's painful for them. And I know many people personally who are unhappy with their their choices, whether it's a sexual choice or something else, an addiction or whatever, but they feel caught in a cycle and stuck. And the tools that Mr. P uses and that are outlined in the story are um, praise, thanksgiving, and and repeating who God says I truly am. And also, um, his life verse is that God loves, he, he says it this way, God loves me as much as he loves his son, Jesus mm, Christ. So true. And when, when his eyes opened to that truth, something clicked and something changed. And so I've witnessed his life every day. He sings, he prays, he praises God, he thanks God for who he is in Christ, and he walks this walk that I feel like people need to know that that they can too. It's not just it's not just his story. It can be all of our story. And I've been so encouraged by just being the daughter-in-law for the past 33 years and watching this man and his spiritual walk. And I just felt like so many people are are sad and stuck and hopeless. And many people, if you want to look at the the homosexual lifestyle, um, many young people commit suicide because they don't know what to do. And I would say people who maybe have some kind of a moral compass that pulls them in a certain direction, if it's based on their their faith or their Christianity or their upbringing or what they read in the Bible, something something just isn't reconciling and they're unhappy. Now, there are people who are perfectly happy in a certain lifestyle. Sure. But this is for those who aren't and who feel hopeless and who feel stuck. There is hope. And that's why I wanted to write the story because there is hope. So it's a story of of hope, not just for people who are wrestling with homosexuality and, and don't want to be in that lifestyle. But you're saying this is the principles are universal. They apply to, to a yes. person who's stuck in any situation. Because this isn't just a book that deals with somebody's, um, somebody's immoral existence. This is no. a story of victory and recovery. Yes. That's what I find so encouraging about this book. It's clear and it, and it shines from the pages. This isn't about the descent. It's about the Ascent as somebody recovers, yes. and I love what you say about finding a person's um, identity, who a person is in Jesus. Yes. Okay, now I've got to ask you this, and who knows how much time we, this will take, or if we have enough time. <laughs> okay. I have to ask you. You you went to somebody, your stepdad. Yes. And you said, "I got to tell your story because your story needs to be told." And he looked at you like this. This is what's going on in my mind. <laughs> like seriously, Julietta, you. But so many people are going to be helped. So many people are going to be helped. Okay. Yes. So you tell me to, 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 to openly discuss, first with you. Yes. <laughs> and then with the world, some really private and challenging and difficult experiences. You know, I'm going to give you that look first. 
And then I'm going to ask myself, how in the world I can do that? Mm-hmm. So, so speak about your stepdad and what you and he went through together to get to the point where the story was even told. It was it was tough, and I can't leave my mom out of it. Sure, because oh um, yeah, think about that. She's she's right. She's right. right here on the on the front page of this thing there as well. Are two peas in a pod, yeah. and you know you have to you have to be willing to allow this story to be told about your spouse and about yeah. you. And it's really, I mean, it's a great love story. If, if for no other reason to read the book, it's a great love story between the two of them. I really had to talk talk a lot to them. Yeah, and and. He said, why would anyone care about my life? Who am I? That was so long ago. You know, so much of it had just been put aside. But I just really kept working. I probably worked on him for about 10 years, uh-huh. really. But but for the past, um, at least the past uh, four years, I just said, please, please, let's do this. And so finally, they came to me and said, okay, we, we agree. It was like... Out of the blue, like, okay, we're going to do it. Really? What? <laughs> so it was exciting to me. And I said, okay, how, 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 how soon do you want to start? But then I had to start asking hard questions. Yes. I had to dig into places that were uncomfortable for all of us. There were lots of tears. He cried. Mom cried. I cried. Um, was there ever a time they said, enough, we can't do this. It's, it's too raw. It's too revealing. It's too painful. It's too difficult reliving this. Did you ever get to that place, or once in, they were in? There was a there was a piece that we were going through where he said, "I can't talk to you about this, but I will write, I will write it down mm. for you, and you can take it from there." Yeah. So he went out into the garden with his notepad, and he wrote several pages and left it on the table for me. Yeah. And. I knew then that it was a real gift. Like, yeah. it makes me cry. It was a gift yeah. that he gave. Because that's, you know, a lot of us don't share uh, our private world, especially right. when it comes to sexuality. Right. And this isn't like, um, you know, grossly sexual book no, 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 in no, no, any no. way, shape, or form. No, this, this, but this isn't the National Enquirer. This isn't no. anything sensationalized. No, it's but, beautifully but written. It's, it's someone's very personal struggle and experience and growth and uh, so that was I think as close as we got we had to take some breaks and they don't live they live a 16 hour drive from me so um, you know I would go and stay in their home and we'd do some work and then we'd get together again at another time yeah well the result of all of that is as I walked One Man's Quest for Sexual and Spiritual Identity. And it's my good fortune to be speaking to the author of this book. Her name is Juliet van Heerden, and I'll be back. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. Brought to you by It Is Written. He could be one of the most perplexing characters in the entire Bible. Called by God, commissioned by God, directed by God. But instead of following God's leading, he ran away from God and went in the opposite direction to where God called him. While fleeing from God, he was apprehended by God, swallowed by a giant sea creature, and given another opportunity to allow God's will to be done in his life. Don't miss great characters of the Bible. Jonah, 
we'll meet the reluctant prophet who fled from the presence of God and didn't want to see a city full of people saved. What does the story of Jonah teach us about Jonah, about God, and about you and me? Don't miss Great Characters of the Bible, the story of Jonah. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Juliet van Heerden, and her second book is As I Walked, One Man's Quest for Sexual and Spiritual Identity. And what's really interesting about this book, there are stories like this everywhere, of course. What I mean is many people have gone through experiences and challenges in a variety of lives. But the person you're writing about is your stepdad. Yes. And you had to go through the process of extracting the story, often a very, very personal story, from a man who's been a big part of your life for more than three decades. Yeah. So that's kind of a unique one, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So so explain to me, I'm going to ask you to sort of outline the story. Okay. But first, I'm going to ask you to outline what you did. You sat down, had interviews, pressed record on the tape deck and and had conversations is that kind of how it went <laughs> i i just sat in their home and i i had my laptop out and as they were talking sometimes i would just type the things that they were saying um we dug out he has kept a suitcase full of letters that he uh wrote to his mother and and back and forth oh, for all these years so my mother dug out those letters and she kind of organized them. Uh, it gives a great glimpse into British life yes. um, back back in the day, and also into his life and his relationship with his mom and who he was as a person, a young person. Yeah, you mentioned his English. From where in England, roughly, is he from? Um, he's he grew up in Yorkshire, in England, Yorkshire, up um, north, little place called Dewsbury. There you go. With a very heavy, heavy accent. Yes, I yes. bet Your Yorkshire accent's fantastic if you can understand it. And that's just a really English part of England. So, yes. But he's in the U.S. now. So let's talk a little bit about. So, so you explained you wrote and listened and talked and asked questions yes. and and yes. you mentioned before some of it was written down, where the conversation may have been just a little difficult. A little difficult. Yeah. And then we um, during the pandemic we ended up on lockdown in Spain together, and um, my husband and myself and my. Mom and stepdad were all in an apartment together for about six weeks. And so we had lots of time to talk and write and work on things. And so oh, yeah. it was it was interesting, interesting process. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a normal process. Sometimes I spied on conversations between the two men as they were talking about things. And I just made notes of every single thing. And then yeah. I went back and put it together and turned it into um, into what it is. So... Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the intent is not just to tell a story. It's not just for people to 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 peek through the windows oh, into no. a person's life. But no. this is a book of redemption and a book that you know can be a blueprint to help people with really any kind of spiritual struggle in a life. It doesn't yes. have to be something of a sexual nature. No. Be be I want to say this. I, I really want to start asking about your, your stepdad's life, but... There's a tendency for people to look at moral issues, homosexuality, transgenderism, as the worst sins that could ever be committed. Yes. They're just not. 
are they? Sin is sin. There's a hierarchy. Killing someone's worth than stealing a, a loaf of bread. No question about that. But for some, this is the worst. Right. I think that's I, I think that's inaccurate, and it may serve to close doors rather than build bridges. Yes. Right. So we need to keep that, I think, in some kind of perspective, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about this man. Uh, raised in England, he left. He spent so many years living in Switzerland. So what was going on in his life? Yeah, so he became a nurse, and he left home at a fairly young age, home meaning England, and he moved to Switzerland. Um, Why he, would you go to Switzerland if you're living in beautiful England? I mean, okay, Switzerland's beautiful too, but what, what drew yeah. him there? Was it work? Was it a desire to escape? What took him there? He's always loved to travel, and so I'm not sure exactly why he decided to land in Switzerland. It could have been work, actually. Um, He started working in a hospital. Did he decide he he was going to stay for 30 years when he went there, or did that just that (laughs) Maybe not. I think it just kind of happened that way. Just put roots down. Right. He started out in the the French-speaking part of Switzerland, so he had to learn French, Mm -hmm. and then um, he ended up in the Italian, Mm. uh, southern Switzerland, Lugano area, and Many so people he, don't realize it, Italian is an official language in Switzerland. Yes, it? it's quite an enclave of Italian speakers down south. Yes, so he um, all of his all of his work um, for nearly thirty years in one hospital was in Italian, oh, yeah. Italian language. Well, how about that? So. How did he find himself? You spoke about the incident that occurred in his life when he was twelve, mm-hmm. but that happening, and then deciding you're a homosexual, realizing, choosing, whatever word you want to use. Mm-hmm. How did that, how did you cross that bridge? I think it was a really slow process. Um, just putting one toe in the water and then going further and further and feeling very, um, I think he felt very isolated in the world, very alone. He became estranged from his father. They had a very difficult relationship. He had a lot of pain and hurt in his heart. Um, and he he started acting out in ways that he felt um, would help, but didn't. And in the end, isolated somewhat because he wanted to he wanted to be a God-pleasing person, but he didn't feel that he was. And whenever he reached out to people um, of faith, he didn't find the answers he was really looking for. And I think isolation kills. And when we become isolated within ourselves with whatever we're dealing with, whatever our pain is, when we don't have the hope, we don't have an outlet, and we don't have people who understand us, there is a feeling of isolation and hopelessness. And he ended up in that kind of a place in his in his mind, in his heart, until he, um, when he moved to the Italian part of Switzerland, he made friends with some people who really began to love him um, and accept him as person. Mm-hmm. And um, men, especially, who I mean, he he'll say his his best friend was named Walter. He's passed away now. But he says, he just said to me this other, the other day, Mr. P said, God told Walter to put his arm around me and to, um, 
to be affectionate toward me in, in a non-sexual way. And that was really impor- an important piece of his healing, um, that he had male friends who weren't afraid heterosexual male friends who weren't afraid of him, who weren't afraid to touch him, who weren't afraid to sit with their arm around. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe part of an Italian-type culture, you know, sure. men um, a little bit more expressive than they are in our culture even. Um, there must have been a difficult time too because, well, well, let me ask the question. Yes. Was he open about his homosexuality when he, li- when he lived in Switzerland? Was, was it open or um, was, it, was he what? Closeted, it depended who he was around. Okay. It depended if he if he was around church people or Christian people, probably not open. Okay. Um, maybe around his family, not open. Because as you mentioned a moment ago, it was illegal, at least in Great Britain, his home country, to be homosexual. <laughs> yes. So being openly gay then, I mean, you're going to be yeah. openly in prison or right. some such thing. <laughs> There was a point when that law did change, yes. Um, but yes, I mean, he grew up in fear and shame, and those things are very damaging to people. So um, he wasn't always completely open about his lifestyle when he was involved in those things, and yet um, he was always searching, always reaching out for some kind of help, for some kind, I feel like, for love. Or love from from the body of Christ, and when he found that, it made a huge difference in his life and so, his so, healing. Yeah, let's talk about. He he lived as a gay man for many years, mm-hmm. and then decided he wouldn't, and then didn't. How, did <laughs> how does he, that happen? <laughs> how does that happen? And of course, there are several things that prompt me asking the question. One, it's a remarkable transformation, no matter how you look at it. Yes, and also. We are told, once gay, always gay, yes. and, and you, you don't change, and it's not a choice. Right. He clearly made a choice to no longer mm-hmm. live that lifestyle. Yes. I'm not going to say he made a choice to feel the feelings that he felt earlier, right. because that might be a horse of a different color. But how did he go about transitioning mm-hmm. out? He clearly wanted to. He he didn't experience peace that he maybe thought he would. He was wrestling with, with God's will versus his own desires. How did he go about stepping away from that? He he bargained with God. He made he made a deal with God and he said, If you give me this thing that I want, then I'll give you an hour a day of my time in, oh, interesting. in Bible study and prayer. Yeah, we wouldn't well, teach that. You know, thing, we wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> no, and the thing that he wanted was not a godly thing that he was asking God uh-huh. for. But what happened was, he's a man of his word and he kept his promise and he followed through with his hour a day with God. How about that? And what happened as he spent an hour a day reading the Bible, praising God, praying, something began to shift in him. Uh And he started to see that um, he had an identity in Christ, that that God's word says, this is who I am. And he recognized that despite his feelings, this is who he is in Christ. Oh, that's interesting. And so he said to me that he began to walk by faith and not by feeling. And he would say out loud, I thank you and I praise you, God, that I am heterosexual and whole, regardless of 
however he felt. And he kept doing that. He would go out and walk in the hike in the in the Valverzaska. It's a beautiful place in Switzerland. I've been there a couple of times and that was he said that was my church. And I would go out, I would scream at God sometimes, he would say, just because he was so frustrated and so and he would scream, I want a wife. I want to feel like I want a wife. Mm-hmm. And I and then he was said he would sing for hours. He would sing and praise and thank God. This is who I am. Thank you for making me this way. And he just literally walked. That's why the book is called As, As I, walked. I Walked. He walked out this experience with God until that lifestyle no longer became his lifestyle. And eventually those feelings were no longer his feelings. And when he met my mother, he said, he said to me yesterday, when I met your mother, I felt feelings that I had never felt before. And I knew those were the feelings from God. Okay, now, here's what someone's wondering. Yes. It could sound like this was mind over matter. Yes. I think I'm straight, therefore I am. I think I'm not gay, therefore I'm not gay. Right. Uh, but we would not say to anybody, hey, just think you're straight and you'll no. be straight. No. I understand what you're saying, but I want you to flesh this out a little more so no one oh, thinks that if we okay. just, if we if we have a mantra, no. I'm straight, I'm straight, I'm straight, uh, no. I thank God that I'm this, that I'm this, that I'm this. So I just want you to, to, to open up a little bit further and explain how this is righteousness by faith. faith. <laughs> because yeah. the Word of God is powerful. The go. Word of God created the universe. Yes. The Word of God created us. The Word of God created our feelings and our emotions and our desires. And when we go back to the Word of God and believe God yes. for who He is and what He says He will do in our lives, that is where the power comes from. So it's he, nothing to do with us. He nothing. Was, he was going to the Word of God. Yes. He identified what the Word of God said. Yes. And then just claimed it in his life. Yes. Believed it. Yes. Sounds like he didn't let God off the hook either. He did not. Yeah. And see, many people do. Uh, some sins have such a stronghold. Sexual sins, they run very, yes. very, very, very yes. deep. Yes. Addictions of various kinds, they go so, so, so deep. And so it's not always easy no. to leave something behind. No. And it calls for tenacity in hanging on to the Word of God and Evidently, he clung to the word of God yes. and refused to not believe what the Bible says. Yes, he said, faith. I will not let you go unless you yes. bless me. I mean, he said it a million times to God, I will not let you go. And he just clung to what God's word said about who he was, that, that about um, what God said he would do in anybody's life. And, I mean, the Bible says that we are a new creation. It says that we are forgiven. It says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, if we're cleansed from all unrighteousness and He gives us the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how we feel. That's the truth, regardless of our feelings. And that is the power of Mr. P's story. Amen. That's a powerful story. Now, question for you. So you've chosen to tell the story of a gentleman who lived a homosexual lifestyle for many years, and for many years has not, the power of God delivered him. You know what year it is, and you're walking in a minefield here because there are some people who are going to tell you, how, how can this even be true? Mm-hmm. It's not possible. It cannot change. I know. You, are, you are choosing to frame homosexuality in less than a glamorous 
approved lifestyle? Are you a are you a bigot? Are you intolerant? And are you a hater? No. Why should I'm we not believe politically not? correct, and I know that. But um, I love people, and I love what God can do in a person's life. And I want people to know that they're not stuck. And no, I'm, I'm not any of those things that we get labeled as being when we believe a certain kind of way. But I have been a witness to this man's life for the past, you know, 34 years. And I see what God can do. And I know that before that, from what he has shared with me, he was miserable, he was suicidal, he was um, wretched. You know, what does Paul say in the Bible? Wretched man that I am who can save me from this body of death. Yeah. And that's how he felt. Like he was just miserable in his life. He was suicidal. I don't yes. want to just gloss over that. No. Because the statistics say some pretty frightening things yes. about certain groups of people and suicide. And he was suicidal. Because you get to a place where you're just so hopeless and depressed. And that's, that's how he felt. Like there was just no way out at a certain point in his life. And yet... Um, and it's true. There's no way out if you are your own solution. Right? There's no way out if it's up to you to change yourself. There's exactly. no way out if you have to will yourself out. There's no way out. No. So question... We've answered this, but I want you to I want to give you the opportunity to frame it in, in more words. Even when you choose Jesus and the Bible as the way out or in the way wherever you're going, mm-hmm. doesn't make it necessarily easy, does it? Not with any not with any issue that we have in our life. Not with anything that we struggle with. It's not always easy because you know, yes, there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, but there's also a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we all have hereditary tendencies or weaknesses. We all have things that have happened in our life or shaped us as a child or whatever that make us vulnerable. We are all vulnerable prey in different kinds of ways. And um, we have to be aware of that and and know that there are weaknesses in my life and I need to know about them and I need to to build a wall of defense against them. And that wall is in the truth of God's word, of who we are. Amen. Well, there's more to talk about. I can't wait. Juliet van Heerden has written this book. It's her second book, As I Walked, One Man's Quest for Sexual and Spiritual Identity. It's a powerful story of deliverance that, as Juliet has said, doesn't just apply to matters of a sexual nature, but matters of any kind of spiritual nature where somebody is looking for deliverance from a certain challenge, whatever that may be. Okay, we'll be back in just a moment with more of our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. 
Every Word is a one-minute Bible-based daily devotional presented by Pastor John Bradshaw and designed especially for busy people like you. Look for Every Word on selected networks or watch it online every day on our website, itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is author Juliet Van Heerden, who has authored... It's a very powerful book, and a practical book, and a helpful book, and it's very real. We spoke a moment ago, Juliet, about the reality of the struggle when someone is looking to get sin out of their life, frankly, whatever that sin is. Sometimes, I expect in your vast experience in ministry, you've met people say, quit smoking, they prayed, and God took it just like that. But then you may have met others, and it was a struggle that took seemingly forever. Mm-hmm. With Mr. P, who's written about in this book, the subject of this book, the battle against his former lifestyle wasn't over in a moment, but it was a process. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you what you think now, and you may choose to um, be as biblical as you like about this answer, but why do you think in this situation and in multiple others like it, God doesn't just remove that and say in this instant you are healed of this situation and you'll never have another worry about it why don't he do that i wish i i wish i could say that i know why he doesn't um i i know some of those stories where instantly things do happen and i've experienced something personally where Instantly it happened. But I've also experienced the long drawn out process of mm-hmm. walking through a valley until you get to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's long and painful. I think um, one of the things that I believe what the Bible says is that we overcome by the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimony. Mm-hmm. This, these kinds of long walks create a testimony that people can identify with and that that can give us compassion for others. Sometimes we tend as Christians maybe to be like bootstrap people, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. If I if I quit smoking in a day, then you can too. Sure. And that's not everybody's experience, yeah. whatever it is. And so I think these kinds of long drawn out experiences give us more compassion for others who are going through the valley. It gives us... Um, a deeper relationship with Christ and a dependence on him. There is, um, there is a verse, it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, maybe 9 to 11, some, somewhere in there that talks about all of these s- sins or areas of, of weakness. And it says, um, these we once were as we once were. And yeah. then it says we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified. Someone, some will recognize it as saying, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. And powerful words, aren't they? Yes. And such were some of you. Were. Exactly. Yeah. It's the were part. And such were some of you. But that sanctified, you know, washed, sanctified, yes. and justified, that sanctifying process sometimes takes a while. If I, if I spill grape juice on my white dress, it doesn't come out immediately. Right. It's, got to, it's got to have some work. And the other thing, too, if you see a grape plant on a vine or any, any vine growing, that vine didn't wrap itself around the trellis in an instant. No. That took a while. 
And after a while, it was so intertwined with the trellis, it'd take you forever to separate the two. And the struggles we go to, I wonder if God allows them so that we become inextricably bound up with Jesus, like yes, a, like a yes. plant wrapped around a frame. And, and it's the, the challenges we go through. If everything happened in a moment, we, we may wonder what we really need Jesus for. Maybe it's yeah. too easy. Yeah. No, that's a great analogy. And I, I mean, in my own experience, I've experienced that, where I just have struggled with something for so long and, and, and gone back and forth and there comes a point where, you know, you just depend on Christ to get you through it and to, to teach you what he wants to teach you. Yeah. And you don't want to go backwards. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to relearn those lessons. I feel like I'm just, I'm clinging to him for dear life. And I think that's where Mr. P was in his experience. He got to the place where I am clinging to you with all that I am and I will not let you go mm. because of everything that I've been through. And that vine just wrapped around. Issues like this of a moral nature, homosexuality, and, and other things of that nature. It seems to me there was once upon a time that most of us could get through this world without ever really having to deal with that. And I'm not saying because we were heterosexual, but because if there were homosexuals around, you know, they kept a pretty low profile. There weren't so many, um, I'm going to say, I'll just say there weren't so many. I mean, where I grew up, oh, everybody knew about this one gay guy. People got on with him okay and accepted him, but you, you'd have been hard-pressed to, to think of a second or a third. Right. But today, mm-hmm. homosexuality is far more prevalent, far more accepted, far more mainstream. It's mainstream now. So everybody's going to have to deal with this issue in yes. their family. Yes in their church, at their place of work. Once upon a time, you could be intolerant and get away with it and probably be thought a bit of a hero for your intolerance. Now, intolerance, it's not accepted, it's not effective, it doesn't help anybody. No. As you studied Mr. P's life and you spoke with your, your, your stepdad about the things that he went through, um, how do we relate to our children when they come home and say, Mom, Dad, I'm gay? How do we relate to nieces and nephews, family members, parents, mm-hmm. uh, extended family? In, it, you can't be intolerant because Jesus wasn't intolerant. Intolerance was never the Christian way. How do we go about, and maybe you can share a little bit about how Mr. P was was loved by people and encouraged by people. The book deals with community as being important to an experience like this. Yes. One thing I know is that shame does not work. And so when we meet people and shame them, shame on you was the the old-fashioned saying my my great-grandmother used to say, it it doesn't work. Um, Love is the only thing that brings healing and um, that love has to be the love of Christ. But Juliet, if I love my gay mm-hmm. child and show unconditional love, am I not showing acceptance for the lifestyle that I'm convinced God does not approve of? How do I find that balance? Mm-hmm. It's difficult for parents. Um, for Mr. P in his experience, that love and acceptance of 
of him as a human being um, by the people who were in his faith community made all the difference. Mm. It, it actually kept him from committing suicide and being a statistic in, in that way. Um, he, will, he will share that it was the love and the acceptance of his friends who were Christians, who did not shame him, who did not treat him like shun him or treat him like his sin was any blacker than their sin. Um, that was what really made a difference in his experience and what allowed him to see Christ, to grow as a Christian. We, we often, as Christians, I think, try to put people in our own box and we expect them to be where we are, even if we birthed those people or raised those people. Well, you know how you were raised or you know how we... Yes, but do you know that child's experience? Do you know what they've been through as a young person? Do you know the secrets that they haven't told you about their sexual experiences that maybe have hurt them in some way? I am no... I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. I'm no expert in this area. I'm telling the experience of my stepfather and my mother. But also, as... um, as a friend and as a family member, I can say personally that every person that I've spoken to who has a struggle with their sexuality, there is some kind of pain root to it. Every single one has a story that it started with some kind of, some kind of pain, some kind of trauma that unless that is dealt with, there's just all this stuff on top that's covering up um, the core, the core pain. If someone's wrestling with sexual sin, they they don't need to be told that they're sinning sexually because no. they're wrestling with it and they know. They know. If they're not wrestling with it and they don't see it as wrong or aberrant in any way and they're perfectly happy as they are, right. confronting them and telling them their sin is probably isn't going to help anyway, right? So it's when the Spirit of God is working in a person's heart and then you come alongside somebody, it seems like that might just make a bit of a difference. It makes a huge difference. And you're right. Mr. P has two friends that he's had for all these years. They are gay. They've lived together for, I don't know, decades. And they're happy. And they have, they have their life. Now, he's not going to go beating them over the head with, with his story and his life. But he has kept an open communication with, they live in England, with them through sending a letter at the holidays every year for years or just checking on them. And at some point... You know, maybe they want to know his story. Maybe they want to ask him a question. Maybe there have been conversations. But no, that's not the way you change anybody. And it's when the Holy Spirit begins working. And there is much power in the prayer of a mother, the prayer of a father, the prayer of a loved one um, who cares enough to intercede. Then when God starts working in that heart, when we are there to walk alongside, to love and encourage, to offer hope, to offer a book or a story that might encourage them to keep walking in a certain direction, that's when change starts to I've got two, two questions. One I'll, one I'll ask quickly because you, you, you made a point. You think the book is appropriate to share with somebody who is in a situation that they're wrestling? Is, is the book good for that? I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Would, with, wrestling not just with sexual sin, yes. but with any kind any of sin. an issue, yeah. really. Because this book demonstrates 
no matter how hard the challenge, God is big enough and strong enough to get you through, over, around, well, through that challenge and bring you to a place of spiritual health. Right. And the book shows you that, I think, beautifully. Something that I'm really fascinated by, and you allude to this, or you demonstrate this, and that's the role of something I think many people wouldn't have put together with recovery, the role of forgiveness. Hmm. How'd that work in Mr. P's experience? And, and, and what's the role and why is there a role for forgiveness in someone recovering from sexual sin or any other kind of sin as well? Why forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is a, is a decision that we make. And somehow it is a key for unlocking healing in our lives. When we hold bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness against somebody, even if it's a perpetrator or a parent or whatever, it is hurting us in some kind of an internal way. And in Mr. P's experience, his relationship with his father was not good at all. And he had to make a decision to forgive his father. Even though he didn't even feel the feelings, he made a decision, I'm going to forgive my dad. And it's a powerful chapter in this book, um, that story of how he went about it, how he went to his father and, and said, I love you, dad. Even though he didn't feel the feelings of love to his dad, he expressed it and how um, at the end of his dad's life, their relationship was able to change because he chose forgiveness. But that was, um, maybe it was good for his dad, but it was great for Mr. P because that helped to free him from that bondage of bitterness. Forgiveness is always more profound in the life of the forgiver Mm -hmm. than in the life of the one being forgiven. And I'm really happy for that emphasis because unforgiveness is just, it just eats away at you like a cancer. And the damage caused by that just knows no bounds. Mm -hmm. So your stepdad has has, has, has just put himself out there in this book. He's allowed me to put him out there. How, how How does someone, I guess there's a question for him, but you've probably asked the question, how does somebody live with their life story, warts and all, mm-hmm. being on, on full display. I mean, many people would like the sanitized version of the story to be yes, told. Yes. So now he's, how's he dealing with the story having been told far and wide? It's interesting because he, he doesn't mind so much about the strangers. It's the people right. that are close sure. to him. So like the people in his family or in our family, close friends. It's those people who say, when they say, oh, where can I get a copy of the book? Right. You know, he'll be like, oh, oh that, that, I don't know what the feeling is, but it's, I've, I call it the shame blanket from uh, Brene Brown. Uh, but it, that shame blanket comes over you and you just like, oh, I just want to crawl into a hole. And, yeah. and then you're like, no, this is my story of yeah. redemption. And, but it, there's something that the enemy tries to do well, yeah. with a person who tells their story. It happened to me when I wrote, when I wrote my memoir. And you, you have to fight it. And I think he has had... He has struggled. He has definitely had to fight it. Well, we can't know exactly what we're going to remember when we get to heaven, but, but David's going to have a lot to live down. And 
Exactly. Peter will forever be the man who denied Jesus three times. Yes, and yes. Eve is going to be there and we're all going to look at Eve and go, what were you thinking? <laughs> and I think what it is is there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. That's right. A little grace goes an awful long way. Hey, so the book, where do we get the book? How can people get a copy of the book? I want people to know. Okay, they can go to julietvanheerden.com. Um, our, our website for our ministry is relevantlifesolutions.org. Relevantlifesolutions.org. Relevant mm-hmm. Yeah, good. And there's always Amazon. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course. So after telling your own story and after telling the story of your stepdad, and it's a, it's a whale of a story and a life-changing story, his life was changed and others' lives would be changed. What's next for the author, Julia from Newton? <laughs> what do you do next? Oh, wow. So I, um, I published my first children's book recently. Nice. And uh, I've written the second one, Waiting on the Illustrator. So this, the second one is, is a fun story. It's, it's called Princess Venus Far From Home. And it's the story of uh, the little girl who lives with us, the Ukrainian refugee. And it's her story of how they escaped from Ukraine and went into Romania. So it's a picture book for children um, to help kids kind of understand. I don't know, a lot of classrooms are showing up with these children from, yes. you know, refugee situations. Yeah. And maybe it will give a little bit of compassion to kids who have someone new walking into the classroom, help them understand their story, what's a refugee and where do we come from. So cool. that's, that's what I'm working on right now. Well, I want to thank you for this, for your, for your ministry. And it's a very broad ministry. Um, does it take courage to write a book like this? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it takes courage for a man to allow his story to be told too. Yes. Thanks for having that courage. Thank because, you. Because uh, what you know is that a story of deliverance is a story of deliverance. This is a beautiful tale, tale, story, account of someone finding freedom through Jesus. And we want more people, not less, to experience that. Absolutely. Juliet, thank you so very much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. It's been great to see you. She is Juliet van Heerden. I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation.